Hello and welcome to episode number 70 of the Know Your Physio podcast. I'm your host, Andres Bruchel, helping you discover your science to optimize your life. And today's guest is R. Blank. R. is an entrepreneur, technologist, and author. He's the CEO of Shield Your Body, which creates products that make it easy and affordable for folks to reduce their exposure to wireless radiation from devices like cell phones and laptops. And along with his father, Dr. Martin Blank, he co-authored Overpowered, widely regarded as one of the best books written on the science of the health effects of EMF radiation. He's also the host of the Healthier Tech podcast. This follows a 20-year career in software development for blue chip firms, including Apple, NBC, Disney, Microsoft, the NFL, Ikea, and Mattel. R also co-founded Wildform, where he co-created the first ever video encoder, Flash, which was sold to Google. He has served on the affiliate faculty of the University of California, Santa Cruz, in the Digital Arts and New Media, DANM program, and previously on the faculty of the University of Southern California, Viterbi School of Engineering. I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Additionally, R has authored numerous articles, videos, courses, and books in technology and software development. He's got an MBA in entrepreneurship from UCLA Anderson School of Management and an undergraduate degree from Columbia University. And today's podcast is all about EMFs, electromagnetic frequencies, and your health and making technology safer. So from a guy that's worked 20 years in software development, now you have everything you need to know about the dangers of falling in love with your technology (laughs) and how to effectively protect yourself by limiting exposure. So anyway, today's episode definitely covers some topics that perhaps originally you may not believe are founded in science or supported by science. So I brought the tinfoil so you can make your tinfoil hats. No, but all jokes aside, there's some incredible science on this episode that goes back a hundred years and all the relevant links are in the show notes. So for those of you who want to dig into this, if you aren't going to take our word for it, well, please, we invite you to dig into the science and become informed. This episode, honestly, is probably one of the most mind-blowing episodes that I've ever recorded. I learned so much. I'm sure you guys are going to get a a lot of incredible takeaways from this from this episode too. So yeah, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right in and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, my dear listeners, ladies and gentlemen, I have some exciting news, exciting update. The folks at Bioptimizers have truly outdone themselves with this new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough. The best magnesium supplement on the market just got even better because it now contains cofactors like vitamin B6 and manganese to improve the bioavailability of magnesium. So for those of you who don't know what bioavailability means, it means that what you're introducing to your body is actually getting used up in a functional way to give you the effects that you're looking for. And with a lot of magnesium supplements, you don't have very good bioavailability. And on top of that, you only have one species of magnesium. Bioptimizers has seven different species of magnesium to support over 80% of your body's metabolic reactions, which are thousands. And now you really get to capitalize on all the incredible benefits of magnesium supplementation because we simply don't get enough through our diets nowadays. And if you want to learn more about that, by the way, tune into episode number 56 of my podcast with Wade Lightheart, one of the co-founders of Bioptimizers to learn more. So for folks who are looking to support their health and wellness and manage stress, uh, reduce anxiety, support a nice, calm, stable mood, get deeper, more restorative sleep, support tremendous energy throughout the day, I highly recommend that you take magnesium 
magnesium breakthrough that is on a daily basis. If I had to choose one supplement to take for the rest of my life, every single day, it would be this one. I managed to get everything else that I need through my diet, all my macro and micronutrients, but because of the soil that we have today, we simply don't get the magnesium that we're supposed to be getting. And with our modern environments, it really helps to get enough magnesium. So I always like to go with the best, the purest, the safest, and the most bioavailable, which is why I choose Magnesium Breakthrough. So if you want to get your hands on some of this amazing, amazing stuff, go to magbreakthrough.com slash undress. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash undress magbreakthrough.com slash undress and use code undress a-n-d-r-e-s during checkout to save 10% and get free shipping or simply scroll down to the show notes section of this episode on the preferred platform that you're currently tuning in from and you'll see a link directly to checkout which you can use right now before we start the show oh and dare i mention that this is an incredible gift for your friends family and loved ones because it shows them that their health and wellness is in your best interest? Yes, it's true. In fact, I have my family set up on automatic deliveries on a monthly basis on my mother's credit card because it's really the intention that counts. And you too can be intentional with your gift by giving the gift of Magnesium Breakthrough. So anyway, go ahead and use code UNDRESS at checkout magbreakthrough.com slash undress. Hope that you guys enjoy. And now let's go ahead and get started with the show. Alrighty, here we are with uh, Mr. R. Blank. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, how's it going? It's a pleasure to have you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's great being here. I know you were recently on Dr. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> can, you, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? And yeah, can you, can you take us through that experience and what it was like? Sure, I will. So starting at the, the very beginning, it was a Monday night and me and my whole team just started getting peppered with emails and calls from someone claiming to be from Dr. Phil's team asking if I'd be interested in appearing on the show. First, obviously, you know, I didn't believe it. So we Googled the name of the person who's contacted us. And <laughs> turns out she was a real person. And so got in touch with her and they wanted someone to talk about impacts of EMF from human embedded computing and microchips. And I had to put this basically do a screen test, but remotely for my computer. I ended up doing about four of them until until they approved me for the show. And because I live in a different country, I then basically I had 24 hours to get my stuff together and travel to LA. They put me up at the Hotel Roosevelt, which is this kind of cool, uh, old, famous hotel in Hollywood near the studio. So then the day of go to the the studio. And this was probably the most stressful part, right? Because I had to take a COVID test to make sure that I could qualify to get onto the actual set. Sitting there for half an hour thinking, did I just travel thousands of miles and I can't do it? <laughs> Fortunately, I passed the test. Where do you live? I live in Panama. Cool. Sweet. Love Panama. So got on the show and then it all just sort of happened. I mean, you know, get my own dressing room and a prep and then they do my makeup and all this kind of stuff. And then they take you out to the the set and you're sitting there for like an hour before they actually start recording. So the studio audience is there, the guests are there and you're just waiting for like an hour and then it all kind of starts. 
And so, and then, like I say, it was all sort of, it was just such an intense experience that followed in the next hour as we recorded the episode. There were a few, what I thought were surprising things. And this is actually, I appreciate this because this is actually, this this is also recent. Your listeners probably don't know this, but this was, this was two weeks ago that I was there. So this is the first time I'm actually talking about this. So they had actually, they had actually, I mean, you hear about this kind of stuff happening, but when it happens to you and it's your first time, it's just kind of a little, it's, it's just weird. They had prepped me opposite of what actually happened. So a couple of examples, you know, one is they had told me that Dr. Phil was in favor of building awareness around EMF health concerns. And it turns out he's pretty firmly opposed. (laughs) Okay. And then they prepped me like I could talk about embedded computing, which is, which is the bigger EMF concern than just microchips. Microchips have their own issues. But when it comes to EMF, human embedded computers and human worn computers are, are the bigger source. And then the whole conversation centered around microchips. And they told me they didn't want to talk about the science, which is why they wanted me, not a, a just a, a regular scientist. And they they basically they prepped me all these ways to sort of disadvantage the expression of EMF <laughs> concerns on the show. And it was just pretty, it was just pretty wild to kind of live through that and experience that. And uh, like I say, it was my first time doing anything like that. And it was a pretty tremendous experience. Wow. And when you, did you realize that he was firm in his beliefs on set or right before you got on set? Yeah. No, during record, during the recording. Oh, during the recording. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And did you get, did you get a chance to express that or did you just kind of have to no, if I, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't just, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know the right metaphor, but that wouldn't, I don't think that would have been cool. So no, I just kind of, I just kind of rolled with it as best, you know, as best I could. Right. I mean, the, the whole thing also was pretty weird. Like there are people on this show because it was who, who were happily microchipping themselves. And like it, there was one woman there who had not only a bunch of microchips, she had magnets inserted into her body, and she actually had a computer inserted into her leg that the coating malfunctioned and she suffered toxic metal poisoning. And to me, this is all really like I don't know people who do this. Wait, wait, wait. Why was she on the show? Because she was like an example of the kind of person who does this type of gets microchipped and gets computers put in them. And she was there showing off what they did. And did you know that they were going to bring this kind of person on the show? I did know about her. I didn't know about the guy who who got microchipped basically so that he can open his Tesla more conveniently. <laughs> and I didn't know about the CEO of the microchipping company. Wait, I can't believe I'm hearing this. <laughs> what, what can't you believe? They had you on like a panel. You know, you're the expert in EMF and they literally brought in folks that have had issues with microchips inserted into their bodies. Yes. And what was your responsibility? Were you supposed to outline why things malfunction and why this was a bad idea? Yeah, I, I, I was there to give the perspective of of someone who's aware of what the science says about EMF. You know, unlike other TV doctors like Sanjay Gupta did a three part series on this a couple of years ago. He takes the science it seems very seriously. Doctor Phil just just doesn't. So my role there was to be the guy that Dr. Phil disagreed with about EMF. And so was Dr. Phil in favor of these microchips and No, so that's the other funny thing. No, he wasn't at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like 
He's like, I'd do a pacemaker. I'm like, that's, but that's life-saving technology, right? I mean, that obviously you're going to take life-saving, but we're not talking about that here. We're talking about these, these, these people who want to open their Tesla more conveniently. I mean, that's not the same sort of thing. Right. So, at, but at the end of the day, he was not in favor of microchipping, nor was he, he was basically not in favor of anything that was said on the show. <laughs> so you, so you got in there, you did your job. Yeah. Cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, I, and, I, and I have a ton of questions and I'm sure the, the people tuning in have <laughs> so many questions about this microchipping and, and I, I want to return to this, Sure. but if we can give the people tuning in some perspective on a little bit about you, your background and, and why you do what you do. Sure. And I apologize if this is going to be redundant for your audience, but just very briefly, because we keep saying the, the letters E and M and F. So for those who don't know, EMF stands for electromagnetic fields. It's a form of energy that's made up of both electricity and magnetism. There's certain natural forms of EMF, like sunlight is the, the main one that all life on Earth evolved to cope with and, and thrive with. There's certain forms that have a lot of energy, more than sun. Those are called ionizing. They include X-rays and gamma rays. And everyone knows those are incredibly harmful, even super low doses. And then there's this whole set of uh, human-made EMF that have less energy than sunlight. So they're called non-ionizing. And they come from everything that runs on power. So like power lines and electrical appliances and anything that communicates wirelessly, like cell phones and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. So when we talk about EMF, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the human-made forms of EMF that are non-ionizing that come from all of this technology that surrounds us. So how I got into this, I was a uh, software engineer and I owned a software engineering company for about 20 years. And I taught software engineering at University of Southern California. In about 2012, my father, who was Dr. Martin Blank, he was one of the world's leading EMF scientists and, and eventually a a activists. He had a contract to write a book, which became overpowered. And unlike almost everything he'd written in, scientifically in his life, this book was aimed at communicating these issues to regular people. So everything he had learned in his, by that point, 30 some odd years working in, in this particular field to communicate that to regular people and why he believed uh, that technology is, as the name says, overpowered and why safety standards needed to be revised significantly and why people needed to take a safer approach in their relationship with technology. And it was the course of writing that book I mean, remember, I said I was a software engineer. So everything I had built in my career up until that point was in some way, shape, or form about getting people to spend more time with their technology. But writing that book made me realize just how strong the science is, demonstrating numerous negative health outcomes and increased risks across multiple biological systems and, in fact, across multiple species. The science here is super strong. But again, this stuff comes from modern technology. It's not like cigarette smoking, where you can regulate it effectively out of existence or almost out of existence. And the only ones who are really harmed by that are some tobacco farmers. With this, you can't get rid of it. There's no getting rid of these types of EMF without going back to the 1850s with the invention of the light bulb. So there have to be safer and saner ways for people to relate to their technology. And that's where the idea for what became has now become Shield Your Body, where that came from. So it's now just over 10 years that I had the idea. Then in 2013, so one year after that, I released my first product. 
in 2016, I sold my half of my software company to my partner and went full-time with Shield Your Body. So the company is 10 years old, product line is nine years old, and I've been full-time now for, for six years and change. That's, that's incredible. And I would say that one of the most remarkable things that you shared is how far back this science goes. Because I think a lot of folks who are starting to learn about EMF, they think it's like this new science and that it's that it doesn't have a, this, this solid foundation of, of research behind it. You know, I think a lot of folks had concerns that started with, let's say, the 5G towers mm-hmm. or with this new wave of influencers on social media that are aware of, of, of EMF and its, and, and its detriments. But in fact, it does, go, it, it does go back quite a bit. Yeah. And I don't remember the citation offhand, but in Overpowered, the oldest study that we were able to, to find and put in the book is 100 years old. So the, the earliest science on this goes back to the 1920s. Wow. But to your point, right, like I said earlier on, ionizing radiation, like x-rays and gamma rays, that's universally ex- ex- as accepted as, as harmful, and you want as little of that as possible. The stuff we're talking about here was long assumed, I mean, yeah, cell phones are new, but non-ionizing EMF radiation goes back a long time at this point. I mean, the early science on electromagnetism goes back to the 1700s. So it was long thought that this stuff was biologically inert. It was harmless to humans and other forms of life. And in fact, my father, who ended up becoming one of the world's most important scientists in this area, he was taught in grad school that it was biologically inert. And in fact, for the first couple of decades that he was teaching at Columbia University Medical School, that's what he was teaching his students. And so in his case, it wasn't until the 1980s when he started getting exposed to this information. In that case, what he did is he happened to read a study, and it turns out that the person who performed the study was working in the same building as him. Her name was Reba Goodman, Dr. Reba Goodman. And so he went and introduced himself to her, and they talked about it, and he started to learn, and they ended up uh, performing multiple studies together. They, they were frequent collaborators over a long period of time. But I say that all by way of saying the science now goes back 100 years, but awareness has been on this sort of slow upward trend. And in fact, even in the 10 years that I've been doing SYB, awareness has really shifted. And it's in that time, like you mentioned 5G. Before that, it was smart meters were a big driver of this uh, type of uh, awareness. But the science itself is is not new. The science itself goes back decades, uh, up to a century, and there's there's continually more and more of it. You're describing, and I'm sure this is uh, an umbrella term that there's uh, more specific, let's say, subtypes. But you're describing two types of of EMF. You know, there's like the X rays and the gamma rays, which we have known they're not very healthy. Right, exposure to these rays is not very healthy. And then there's another type which we thought were inert, Mm -hmm. but in fact, they are also unhealthy, right? But it's sort of like, those are the, that's the, that's the the species of EMF that we're constantly exposed to. Yes. Yeah. Those two types, the, the x-rays and the gamma rays, those are called ionizing. And the reason is they have so much energy, they can knock electrons loose from the cells in your body. So they ionize your body's cells. And that is a very damaging thing to have happen. The other forms that we're talking about, and you're right, they do. we could even dig down deeper, and there, there are other names. But broadly speaking, these human-made forms of EMF, they're called non-ionizing because they don't have that same level of energy, and they cannot knock electrons loose from the cells in your body. 
And so that's the basic dividing line. But what kind of effect can they have? Well, so that's the thing. They have a lot of effect. And in general, though, right? So there are certain effects that you can actually see pretty quickly. But in general, right, if you're exposed to too much ionizing radiation, you can die almost instantly. And when it comes to the non-ionizing forms of EMF, the immediate impacts are much more subtle and they accumulate, the damage accumulates over time. So, but I gather what you're looking for here are some of the, the biological mechanisms that are triggered. Right. So one of the ones that is, I, I believe it really helps summarize the, the dangers here to, to people in a, in a clear way, because a lot of the science can just get into the weeds. But there's a set of studies from two researchers back in the 1990s, Dr. Henry Lai and Dr. Narendra Singh out of the state of Washington. And they showed at the time they were measuring cordless phone radiation, which is very similar to cell phones, but cell phones just weren't that popular back then. So they were using cordless phones. And what they found is that even brief exposures to cordless phone radiation damaged DNA in significant ways. It led to an increased rates of strand breaks. So strand breaks, because DNA has two strands, right? The double helix, a strand break can be either single or double. And what they found is it actually increased the rates of both single and double strand breaks. Now, if you have a double strand break, the cell will kill itself. It will engage in apoptosis, which is, it, it sounds pretty severe, but that's actually the pr preferred outcome, right? Because if only one strand is broken, the cell will work to recreate it by using the information in the other strand, right? They're mirror images of each other. And that it is in that process through which things like mutations can happen, right? And so that's where a genetic mutations can happen. So that is one of, I believe, the most significant mechanisms. And that, like I said, that was a series of studies that has not only been peer reviewed, it has been replicated multiple times by independent teams around the world. And we'll link to it in the show notes for those who want to dig deeper. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to send you any of those links afterward. Just tell me. Even more concerningly, in my view, was that they showed that the damage, the increased rates of strand breaks occurred for hours after these exposures. So it wasn't just that you're exposed to some radiation and then you have some strand breaks and then the radiation goes away and the strand breaks stop. It persisted for hours. So that is... I believe one of the most important set of studies uh, on this topic when you're talking about at the level of biological mechanisms. Another, this is more recent work, it's by a Dr. Martin Paul, who is out of New York, and he has shown how exposure to this type of radiation impacts the voltage-gated calcium channels, or VGCCs. What he showed basically to, and again, we can put the links to the actual citations in the show notes, but what he basically showed is exposure to this type of stuff leads to too much calcium getting into your cells. That is a, an immediate precursor to inflammation in the body and leads to many different types of, of damage. Then there's the, the work, some of the work that my father did, which showed that exposure, and he was studying, so the, both the studies that I was, or sets of studies that I was just talking about, were about the uh, wireless radiation, right? The, the type of radiation you get from wireless communication. That's often referred to as either radio frequency or microwave. My father did work lower in the spectrum it called ELF or extremely low frequency. And that's the kind of stuff you get off of power lines, 
And so what he showed is that exposure to, to ELF forms of EMF triggers the cellular stress response. So it has the equivalent impact of being exposed to too much heat. It releases an increased number of heat shot proteins in the cell. And that is an indicator that your body is interpreting this as a stressor at a physiological level. And I know, because I was, I was reviewing your Instagram page before this interview, that stressors can be both positive and negative. But when you're exposed to this stuff 24-7, which we all are, and your body is, this is now where I take off my, I'm not quite a scientist, but I talk a little like one hat, and I talk like, that. that is when your body is entering a 24-7 fight or flight mode at a cellular level. And that is not so it was his it, it was his firm belief that that was a clear signal that your body is sending that these exposures are not healthy that this is harming and stressing the body. So those are three examples of physiological mechanisms that are invoked from exposure and when I'm uh, keep in mind when I'm talking about this stuff I'm talking about exposures that are well within safety limits. I'm not saying oh you know I put a cat in a microwave oven and look what happened. No, I'm saying, you know, hold a a cordless phone close to you or you're standing not too far away from a power line or, or something like that. So these are, these are exposures that are well within what you can expect to have multiple times every day. So well, within safety limits, right? (laughs) Which is another topic that I want to return to and, and, you know, how, how those parameters were established, what they really mean. But before we get there, just to quickly touch on the low frequency and, and that kind of like you know, low level of, let's say, exposure or inflammation that occurs. I just want to say something on that. And it's the thing about having these potent stressors that we do have control over that we can strategically add in. You know, the idea behind use stress is we add in stress. And so long as we can properly recover from that stressor, then we get stronger. You know, we get smarter, we get quicker. Like exercise, you know, exercise is an acute immunosuppressor. We actually damage muscle fiber so long as we can eat properly and sleep properly, manage stress. All right, now we're getting better and better and better. The thing is, when it comes to uneven fasting and, you know, cold and extreme heat exposure, all these these healthy habits and the mechanisms of use stress, but we don't have much control over these low-grade stressors that are there all the time. And their influence may not seem like much, but because it's always there, it kind of has like a compounding effect, which over the course of many years can truly influence us. Yes. The last podcast that I did, we were discussing how this can impact, you know, your mitochondria, right? Having like a a low grade of stress over time, what that can do. So I see EMF as one of these low grade chronic stressors. And I would say that's (laughs) the number one reason why I was just so, you know, inspired to get you on the show and to and to and to to check out your work because I want to help folks folks take a well get the protection that they need from these these sources of low grade inflammation and, and, and low grade EMF exposure. So I do want to get back to the parameters, but why don't we go ahead and, and talk a little bit about what folks can do to protect themselves from this EMF exposure that's around them all the time. So there's Two things right away that people can start doing, right? Because keep in mind, there are so many of these sources in our lives. There's lots of opportunities to make this difference and cut your exposure. So the number one thing is to minimize your use of EMF emitting technology. And the number two thing is to increase the distance between your body and the technology when it is in use. So when I talk about minimizing use, I'm talking about things that 
find ways to either not buy or turn off your EMF emitting tech, right? Because we all live in this modern world. And I've said before, there's no going back to a zero EMF world that should never be anybody's goal because it is fruitless. So what do I mean by examples of minimize? So number one, for instance, I, I, I never, I, I, I strongly advocate against people using AirPods because when you're using AirPods or any Bluetooth headset, it's right up there in your ear canal, very close to your brain in an unshielded part of your brain, generally for hours at a time, either every day or many days. And these are really, it's big exposures to a very sensitive area. So just use a wired headset instead. Or if you keep Wi-Fi in your house, turn it off at night when you're going to sleep, when you're not using it and making getting active value out of the tech being on. Forego all these smart home devices that they keep trying to sell us. So for instance, the example I like to give is the smart fridge because it sounds like a normal thing. Like once you, you enter this world where, oh, there's all this smart technology. Yeah, let me get a smart fridge. And then you think like, why on earth do I need a smart, like what name one use case, name one problem that that solves. And that's not to say all smart tech is useless. I mean, it all is dangerous and harmful in terms of EMF, but at least in a lot of these cases, it, it can be useful. But there's a whole bunch of them that aren't. There's another one, the smart fridge I like citing because it sounds like it's a, a good idea, but it isn't really. One that I like citing because it is so ludicrous and it illustrates just how reckless the tech industry is being is smart tampons. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah. And so obviously, based on the fact that it's a tampon, you you know where it goes. And so that's a, a pretty vulnerable area that what do you need that? It's crazy. I mean, you're, and you're wearing it all the time at, the, at that point. Like, it's just crazy to me. The smart tampon, does it tell a, a, a woman where she is along her cycle or? I've never used one myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I gather is it, it gives you some data about what's going on with your flow and comparing it over time to the last one and the one before that. And so it's it's like measurement and tracking. It's ridiculous. You just don't need that. So there's all these opportunities to minimize your use. Now, the second one, and the more you think about it, the more you'll realize there are plenty that you can use that will not impact your enjoyment of technology at all, or will just do it very minimally and the health gains that you get are, are pretty significant. You know, turning off the Wi-Fi router at night, there, there's two bits of, of infra, uh, two tips I give people, you know, when they ask me, what should I do? And I, you know, I don't have an hour and a half to talk to them like with you and, you know, get into the details. And the se- I'll, I'll tell you the first one in a second. The second one is to turn off your Wi-Fi at night. And the people who try that, a huge percentage of them get better sleep the first night. And I had a guy, he runs a, uh, a detox retreat in Bali, and he was on my, my Healthier Tech podcast. And he, he's very aware about EMF. He also wears an aura ring. And he told me that when he started turning off the Wi-Fi at night at the retreat, he was able to measure with his aura ring that he was getting 15 minutes more per night of deep sleep. So, and that I only cite that because that's actually a guy that I know who measured it in his own body. But I hear from people all the time who try that and say, even on the first night, their sleep dramatically improves. So that, that, that was the first tip is minimize. The second tip is maximize. And I like covering this one because it has maybe a non-intuitive aspect to it for a lot of people, which is you want as much distance between the source EMF and uh, a source of EMF and your body as possible. 
So why does this matter? It's because uh, the power of EMF radiation follows something called the law of inverse squares. And what that means in practice is that the power diminishes exponentially with distance. So if you have a source of EMF that's an inch away from your body and you double it to two inches away from your body, you've actually cut the power of your exposure by 75%. And the more you know you double, the more of that reduction that you have. This is why, for example, Apple calls for a minimum distance of separation between the iPhone and your body, which you, a lot of people don't realize because it's in the, the manual fine print. But that's exactly why. Because even putting a small amount of distance between the phone and your body can have a huge impact on how uh, much of this, uh, the power of the exposure that, that you have from, from that particular source. Well, thanks, Apple. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're not the only, I, I just cite them because they're such a powerful brand and they have so much of the market, but you'll see this stuff in a lot of fine print. I mean, Dell laptops, I've seen a Dell laptop manual where they talk about a seven and a half inch minimum distance of separation between the lap, the product they call a laptop and your lap, they say there should be seven and a half inches between them. So there's lots of these product warnings if you get into the fine print. So that is, so I, I said there's two tips I give everybody. The second one is turn off your Wi-Fi at night. The first one is not to carry your phone in your pocket or to put it into airplane mode if you do. And so other examples are, you know, not wearing an Apple watch or any of these smartwatches because there's no way to create a bigger distance with, with those, right? They, they have to be on your body. If you're using Wi-Fi, I already said to turn it off at night, but during the day when it's on, keep the router as far away from where you and your loved ones spend your time because that distance really does make a difference. Never use your laptop in your lap. Never talk on the phone with it up to your head. There's all of these ways that you can both minimize your use of EMF emitting technology and maximizing the distance between your body and the technology when it is in use. Those are the two best ways to reduce your exposure to these forces. Now, there's a, what I call the second line of defense, which is EMF protection products. Now, at Shield Your Body, I make a catalog of EMF protection products, but I want to before getting into that, I want to highlight, right? So if any of your listeners just go out and Google or search on Amazon for EMF protection, there's going to be a lot of different kind of things that they find, harmonizers and neutralizers and little stickers and crystals and pendants. What I make at Shield Your Body are products that utilize EMF shielding technology. So this is, this is technology that's been around for just shy of 200 years since Michael Faraday invented the Faraday cage. And what he showed is that if you weave certain conductive metals into uh, certain patterns, you can block and deflect EMF radiation in the opposite direction. So this is universally accepted science. It's also testable and measurable. We have it tested in labs, but we also give whole guides to, to, to people on how they can test it for themselves at home. So unlike a lot of what is out there being marketed and sold as EMF protection, Everything that, that I make and sell is based on demonstrable, measurable, well-established science that people can verify for them. So there's, there's ways and mechanisms for them to verify for themselves. So for instance, I say the best solution is to not carry your phone in your pocket. And that is the best, or to put it into airplane mode if you do. And that is the best solution. But there's a lot of people out there who need their phones with them. And where are they going to carry them? And they can't turn them off. 
And so that's why I make a line of things to carry your phone in that make it safer by uh, the, so for instance, my phone pouch, which I always forget to bring my products into camera before, before sitting down for an interview. It's, I think it's over there, but we'll add a link to the show notes to, to, to your website and products as well. I would love for folks to get their hands on them. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. So, and I won't go through all 32 products, but just as an example, why, what the role that I think EMF protection products plays in protecting yourself from EMF. So the phone pouch, it's a pouch that you put your phone in. And the back of the pouch has this radiation shielding on it, and the front doesn't. So when you're carrying the pouch you know, on your belt or in your pocket, the back of the pouch is deflecting cell phone radiation away from your body, but because the front of the pouch isn't shielded, your phone can still function. So again, the, that's an example where the best thing you can do is not carry your phone in your pocket or put it into airplane mode. But if those you don't want to do those or you can't do those, that's where a good EMF protection solution comes in. And that's why I make the phone pouch and the pouch deluxe and so forth. So just to restate before you move on, right? The two key rules of EMF protection are to minimize your use of EMF emitting technology and maximize the distance from the tech and your body when it's in use. And then good EMF protection forms what I call a second line of defense against these forces. Thank you. And as far as being sensitive to EMF, how warranted is that really? Can you be, is there such a thing as, as, as sensitive? And I, I, I'm asking on behalf of a lot of the folks that I know that have expressed, you know, hey, you know, I'm sensitive to EMF. I can feel, you know, a lot of EMF here. And I'm sure a lot of those folks would be dismissed and them and their, you know, their, their tinfoil hats would be immediately dismissed by some folks in the scientific community. Yeah. But I'll tell you that even on my end, like, I can't wear AirPods. Like I absolutely can't wear AirPods. The second that I put them on, within within a few seconds, I just get this tremendous amount of like brain fog and headaches. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I've if I'm just so deep in the wellness space where it's a placebo effect. But can you describe what, what's what's going on and can you actually be sensitive to EMF? So whenever any individual person comes up to you and says I'm sensitive to EMF. You know, I don't have the skills or the faculties to be able to say, yes, you are, or no, you're making it up in your head. I do know that a lot of people think that they have these sensitivities. And in fact, increasingly, I feel like I've become one of them. And my symptoms are not like, so there's, okay, so the condition we're talking about here is background for your audience. It's called electrohypersensitivity syndrome or EHS. And it is a very poorly understood syndrome where what the, the easiest way to think about it is, you know, you and I can walk into a room and feel fine. And someone else with EHS can walk into that same room and feel really bad. Like there's this uh, range of symptoms, including migraine headaches, brain fog, rashes, joint pain, anxiety, sleep disruption, and more. Now, so the best way that I find to think about it is like allergies, right? So you and I could walk, let's say we're not allergic to cats and we walk into a room and there's cats there and we feel fine. And then someone who walks in and is allergic to cats walks in and they start sneezing. Then someone who walks in who's really allergic to cats, they start sneezing badly. They can't, you know, it's getting so congested. They can't breathe. They have to leave. So I am contacted by people all of the time with these symptoms. And I've read a growing body of research that seems to indicate that this condition is real. Now, it is keeping in mind, right, the symptoms that I was just talking about to you, migraine headaches, anxiety, brain fog, 
These are things that happen to people all of the time. And they may not think to be aware that it's even a possibility that EMF is a cause of this, right? How many people have anxiety today? Now, I'm not saying EMF is the cause of all anxiety, but it could easily be the cause of a lot of people's anxiety. And so are they EHS? Are they not EHS? You know, I don't know. They're certainly not self-identifying. Well, it's it's another one of these like low grade influences that yes, you know, you compile with other low grade influences, and all of a sudden you're you're anxious. Yes, it's a, it can certainly be a contributor. Yeah, and there are recognized, respected medical institutions, a growing number of them around the world, that are now offering formal diagnosis of EHS and formal treatment plans for EHS. So the one, I never remember the whole list, but the one that always sticks in my head is the Women's College in Toronto on my website. And again, if you want, I can send you the link to this, but we have a list of, I think it's nine of these institutions so far around the world. Yeah, please do. The government of Sweden recognizes it as a dis- EHS as a disability. And so it is. It is. It, it seems to me like this is a really legitimate area. And it also seems to me that the number of people who are going to suffer from EHS is going to grow. The reason being, the number of these exposures are growing every year with the growth of technology, the growth in the number of cell towers, the growth in the number of smart devices in our homes. The growth of all this stuff means the more of this there is, the greater the number of people for whom the threshold will be passed to, to trigger the symptomatic response. Now, I told you I'm increasingly thinking that I, I actually have this and you know my story i'm not i'm i'm not trying to get tears out of anybody the example i have is i have a really hard time getting a decent night of sleep in a city anymore uh it used to be when i grew up you know i went to i lived in manhattan i went to school there you know that's that's like the cityest city outside of asia i never had any problems but in the time since then you know i've gotten older the amount of emf in the environment like wifi ba- basically didn't even exist back when I lived in Manhattan. Now you go stay in a hotel and you look in your laptop and you'll see like 60 networks right there, not to mention the cell towers and so forth. But it's not just New York, right? Panama City, Las Vegas, Los Angeles. These are places where I spend time and I find it really hard to get a good night's sleep there anymore. It's it's almost like there's a part of me that just feels electrified, like too energized to, to get a good night's sleep. Now, do I know for sure that that's EHS and not some other issue? No, I don't know that. But it certainly corresponds to things that I've read and heard. And there's certainly enough of this scientific and anecdotal evidence in order to believe that this stuff is happening. I mean, at a certain point, you have to ask, how much evidence do you really want before you start taking reasonable precautions? And because the the goal in science is not, it's not like you can prove in math, right? You have I've proven one plus one equals two. It's proven, right? There's no debate on that. That You never get that in science. I mean, they're still debating Einstein and Newton today. And we, we walk around like, like it's out of the Bible. But, if, you know, they're, they're still like, did, it, did, was he right about that? Was he wrong about that? Science is constantly evolving. And when you're, te- you're doing a test, you're testing very specific things. And the, what the fact is, in today's world, it's almost impossible to get a good control group when it comes to the question of EMF. By, and by control group, what I mean is if you're, if you're testing in a population, you need to test, well, this population was exposed to EMF, this one wasn't. What's the difference? And in today's world, it's really hard to get 
the population that wasn't exposed to EMF. There is one really good example of that, though. I mean, there's more than one, but and this is work done by a Dr. Sam Millam, and it's a research project that he put into a book called Dirty Electricity, and we also cover this in, in Overpowered. But what he did, he's an epidemiologist, also, I believe, out of New York, and what he did for his project, America was electrified, meaning America got its power grid and it didn't get it all at once. Right. So first they would do New York and New Jersey, and then they would do some other cities and some other, and eventually it spread to the rural areas. So it rolled out to different parts of the United States all at different times. And what he did was analyze the death records of before electricity was introduced into an area and after electricity was introduced into an area. And he identified a series of what he called diseases of civilization. And so I'll give you an example. It turns out that childhood leukemia, that is the incidence of leukemia in children between the ages of three and four, did not exist until the power grid came along. And there's a whole bunch of these other ones, including Alzheimer's and Lou Gehrig's disease, right? These things did not exist until the power grid was introduced. And so that is one of those few, and oh, by the way, and it's still, the, these diseases of uh, civilization still basically don't exist in the few unexposed areas that we have, which would include, for instance, Amish country. So that's really compelling evidence. You can't go out today and find people in the United States that aren't exposed, basically can't find people that aren't exposed to these forces. But he was able to do it by his pursuit through epidemiological tools. And it's really, really compelling data. That's absolutely fascinating. And I, I personally want to dissect some of these studies. And I'm sure a lot of the folks tuning in would, would, would love to get their hands on the substance as well. I wanted to share something that one of my mentors who's a very well-respected faculty member at the University of Miami. He's a PhD. He says, lack of evidence does not mean evidence is lacking. You know, just because we don't have the exact mechanism or all the evidence that we need to make a point doesn't mean that <laughs> it's not real. Yeah. Meaning, you know, how much more evidence do we need before we start taking action against EMF and protecting ourselves against EMF? You know, certainly taking action, it can only do good. It can only do good by us. It can't really do much, much harm. You know, why not play it safe. And it's consistent with our evolutionary history as well. So there's this thing called the weight of evidence approach, right? When it comes to issues of EMF, just like it was with issues of tobacco half a century earlier, uh, you have certain scientists out there doing legitimate research. And then you have certain scientists out there doing research that's funded by wireless and power interests designed to demonstrate a specific type of result, basically that this stuff is safe. And their goal is to fund as much of this as to flood the market. So, and that's to enable people, as it happens, like Dr. Phil, to say, well, I've, I've examined the evidence and there's you know, more of it saying it's safe. Right. A, it, it ignores the, the funding sources because when you act, there, there are actually meta studies that go into analyze the quality and funding sources of this stuff and how much of the safe research is that, you know, the safe research says that it's is funded, is funded by the, these corporate interests. But let's step back a second, right? So someone comes and tells you, I've looked at the science. Yes, there's science that says it's harmful, but there's a whole bunch of science that says it's safe. And so let me ask you, I mean, I know what your answer is going to be, but because you're the one I'm talking to right now, let me ask you, right? Your doctor says you need to take a drug and you go do the research and like half the science says this drug is safe. And the other half says this drug has serious problems and may actually kill you. Would you take the drug because half of the science says it's safe? And then you 
take it a step further where it's like, well, and also a bunch of the science that says it's safe was funded by the company that makes the drug. And so really, but that's not how people look at the EMF issue, just as it wasn't how they looked at the tobacco issue for decades. I mean, look at tobacco. You're literally, you're inhaling this horrible smoke into your lungs. You're seeing the people in hospitals dying from this. And yet somehow they still had doctors doing ads on TV saying, you know, smoking, let's, let's go have a camel. It's crazy how, uh, when you actually sit down and think about it, it's kind of crazy how implicitly biased we are in analyzing information when it comes to things that we love. And that's, that's in, in part, I think that's what it really comes down to with EMF science is that EMF comes off of everything that we love. It comes off of our phones, which we love. It comes off of our computers and our Wi-Fi. We love our Wi-Fi. It comes off of our AirPods. People, I hate them, but I know a lot of people who love their AirPods. It comes off of our refrigerators. And we might not think we love our refrigerator, but try living without one for a month and you'll you know, really miss it. So it comes off of all of these things that we love and increasingly that we're addicted to. And it's we just don't want to friggin' hear that. And so we'll latch on to any little thing that gives us an excuse to ignore the science. Yeah. And, and I personally see this. I see reducing EMF exposure as, honestly, as a, a low-hanging fruit to improve your health and wellness. Like once you actually listen to a conversation like this one or some of the science, the, the steps that you can take to improve your health and wellness are simple. They're relatively simple. Increase the distance, limit your exposure. That's obviously we can get into the specifics and we have, but you can instantly see a difference or at least know that you're taking the right steps towards better health and wellness. Yeah. Now I wanted to share, I know this is anecdotal and we're, we're, we're really looking to dive into some real research here, but again, anecdotally, I, I want to share a little bit about my habits and the changes that I've made Okay, just to show people how easy this is and how it's felt for me. Because I do track my biometrics and I have seen a difference. I started to learn about the EMF exposure. I went to some of the biohacking conferences and you know I did all the all the fancy biohacks and they, 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 they tested and they measured me and, oh, look, now you're, this is your positive charge and now you're grounded. Okay, cool. I started to disconnect my Wi-Fi before bed. I saw improvement in my sleep scores pretty immediately. Small, but, but definitely an upward trend. I would say, yeah, you know, my deep sleep increased, but I felt more refreshed in the mornings. I felt more energized in the mornings. Another thing that I noticed was I started to work out and this wasn't, this was with the intention to limit my EMF. But it's something that I noticed. I started to work out in the mornings on the beach when I lived in Miami. And so I was completely barefoot and I would just, you know, had two hours of, of grounding. And typically following up the exercise, I'd go home, I'd maybe have some coffee, some water, and then I would sit down and work at my desk. The mornings that I went and did the grounding before I sat down at my desk, I could work a lot longer and a lot better. I was a lot clearer. But if I woke up, did my morning routine and sat at my desk, Oh my God, within 30 minutes to an hour, I would just feel like, ah, like I need to stop. Like I need to put the, this stuff away. I need to put it down. I need to go outside and get some sunlight. I need to hydrate. I would just feel this like wall of like mental exhaustion and brain fog that had to stop. And the next thing is I mentioned the, the, the AirPods. I mentioned the sleep, mentioned grounding. Airplane mode? Yes, airplane mode on, on, on two counts. So when I go to bed, I, and this was as soon as I started, this is around the same time that I started disconnecting my, my, my Wi-Fi. I would also put my, my phone in airplane mode every single night, something that I do no matter what. I've done that for the past 
almost three years now. Every single night, no matter what, my phone goes in airplane mode. And beyond the EMF, I just don't like getting notifications while I'm sleeping. <laughs> and I like to keep the notifications off during my morning routine in the morning. Best way to start the day. I hate instant notifications. But additionally, I would put my uh, devices on airplane mode. So I, I, I track my biometrics today with a cardio mode device, but I used to use a, a bio strap. It had this uh, airplane mode feature. And so while I was gathering biometrics overnight, I would have it in airplane mode, and then I would take it off in the morning, put it on the charger, and have it upload data to my phone while I was doing my, my going about my morning routine. So I, I like to take precaution. I have noticed an effect. and But again, I would consider myself someone that is sensitive. Now, I would also say that one of the reasons perhaps why I'm sensitive is because I do add in a lot of stuff to a lot of grounding, for example. And so I think maybe perhaps what's what's happening here is, you know, contrast works both ways, right? If you start to add in the good stuff, then you can really see the difference when you are exposed to EMF. If you're constantly exposed and you're not taking any precaution and you're not grounding, et cetera, then you're not really going to notice an effect. But because I was going on and grounding, doing all these strategies, I could really see the difference and feel the difference. Hey, it's super cool that you did all that. And I'm really glad that you shared that with your listeners so they understand that it's not just people like me, you know, advocating this sort of thing. It's people like you actually doing it and seeing results. And it reminded me of something I, I should have mentioned earlier when we were talking about EHS, which is, you know, why so many more people are experiencing this stuff. It is my belief that it not only has to do with our sensitivity to EMF, but it has to do with our overall toxic load. And part of the basis for that belief is, for example, if you have or have had Lyme disease, you are much more likely to report experiencing EHS. If you have or have had multiple chemical sensitivity or MCS, you are much more likely uh, to have uh, EHS. And as you know, right, the number of toxins in our environment, whether, you know, we're not just talking about EMF here, the number of toxins in our environment continues to grow every year. And so its exposure to all of these toxins can reduce our resilience against any one of these toxins. And I believe that is, I'm not able to point to science. I mean, I can point to the data showing that like increased cross susceptibility between Lyme disease and EHS, but I'm not able to point it at like firm science to support what I'm saying here. But I think it is intuitively makes a lot of sense based off of what we're seeing. And so actually, the more toxins you're exposed to overall, the more likely you are to report experiencing EHS. Makes sense. I also, <laughs> you mentioned New York. Right now, I'm living in Uruguay. Um, I'm, in a, I'm in an apartment. That's another topic that I want to discuss, how to limit exposure when you're in an apartment and there's like hundreds of Wi-Fi signals. But anyway, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, I was living in New York in Yonkers and I would occasionally go into the city. I love New York City. I was born in Manhattan. But let me tell you that every time that I was in the city, maybe an hour into it, I would just, I, I, I wanted to get out. I just felt this like, and I'm not an anxious person, but I felt this like anxiety. Like I just felt disconnected from from my natural state. I just felt like there was just so much. I mean, of course, there's so much going on in New York City. You know, there's, you kind of always have to watch your back and there's the taxis flying by you, cars honking, ambulances, police officers, mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people, all the lights. But even then, like <laughs> my girlfriend and I, we would go to Central Park every time we were in the city to do some grounding. I don't even know if that worked. I don't even know. I don't even know. It's, I, I don't know what's, what's underneath Central Park. So I don't even know <laughs> if, it, if it actually worked. 
yeah, New York City was uh, was was like EMF central. Now you know we have exposure to uh, nature right here in Nervous vicinity, and it's great. But because we live in an apartment, I have definitely grown concerned about EMF exposure. So one thing that I have here that I brought from Miami, it's the Blue Shield. I'm sure you've you've heard of the Blue Shield or familiar with the technology. You know, you plug it in to one of the outlets in your home. I've seen it. I, I've never used one. I got it. I don't know if it works. I use it, <laughs> but I know there's similar devices that you can sort of plug in or you can set up in your home that will have a similar effect. I don't know what actually happens. I don't know what they do. Maybe you can shed some light on on, on how this works, if and how it works. Yeah. So I A, they're kind of, I mean, I don't view them as a competitor of mine because like I say, I make shielding products and Blue Shield, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's not a despite its name, it's not a a shielding product. It's not based off of this basic technology that Michael Faraday invented. But I I try not to speak about specific brands anyway, even though they're not uh, what I would call direct competitor. That said, I do have content about how I recommend people evaluate EMF protection, right? So let me be clear, right? And this is important to me. This is not like self-promotional stuff. I focus on providing solutions, as I talked to you about earlier, that are based on scientific, measurable, demonstrable claims, right? And that's important to me. I want to emphasize, though, that I don't, I don't think just because a product lacks scientific, demonstrable, measurable claims, I don't think just because it lacks that, that it doesn't work. It means that I can't know that it's working. I can't measure if it's working. And that makes me hesitant to either sell it to a customer myself or even recommend it to somebody. Because there is a lot of stuff in the EMF protection world that is bogus. These little stickers that you can buy that claim to make your cell phone safe, they're all over Amazon. It's This kind of stuff is bogus. And because there's so much bogus stuff out there, I find it is important to emphasize to people that from my perspective, that you really should be focused on the stuff that makes these demonstrable, measurable claims. Now, I don't know what Blue Shields does, but I can say, you know, the number one thing that I recommend that people do is look at the claims that are being made, right? Because like makes EMF safe isn't a product claim. Blocks, you know, up to 99% of EMF, that is a product claim. Or they're like makes you feel better isn't really a product claim. Like it may make you feel better. And if it does, then you should by all means keep using it. But we have no idea what it is doing to make you feel better. And it's just really so that without going on and on about this, I do have an 11 minute video, which if you want to put it in the show notes that walks people through how to evaluate EMF. Because I, like I say, I don't think you need to be a shielding company. Like I don't think your product needs to be a shielding product in order. And that's the only ones that work. But that's the reason why I focus on these products that make these demonstrable, measurable claims that are based on this type of technology, because it is very easy for me to know that I am selling something that works and for customers to be able to test for themselves if it's actually working. And it's not just based on a gut sensation that they are having. Right. And what can be said about, let's say, grounding and, and, and the effect of grounding? How does this, because you mentioned how, you know, for example, EMF exposure, just a few minutes of exposure can have an effect in your body that lasts several hours later. Is, mm-hmm. is it similar with something like grounding? You know, when you ground, what actually happens and does that effect carry over for a remaining number of hours? 
Yeah. So when you ground, and let's use your example, because that's the better example. When you ground, like you, you worked out barefoot on Miami Beach. And when you ground into the earth itself, which is what you were doing there, walking barefoot on the sand, walking barefoot in the ocean, walking barefoot in nature, walking barefoot in a park, when you ground, you are discharging positive ionization, which can accumulate from, from multiple sources, including EMF exposure. And so while grounding may sound like a sort of foo-foo, new agey sort of thing, there's actually a lot of science in terms of what's happening and the benefits it brings you. So by discharging positive ionization, you are reducing the accumulation of free radicals, you are reducing inflammation, and those then have knock-on effects in your physiology. So grounding is a really healthy practice. And I don't think you'll ever, I mean, maybe there's always crazy people out there, but I don't think you'll ever find anyone who says not to do it. Yeah. Now, but I'm about to say, <laughs> there are times when it isn't so great, right? Because so first off, if you happen to live in a high area with high ground currents, right? So you can, and the beach is almost never one of these, which is why I always like recommending the beach, but they can wire the third prong in your outlet, any plug, you know, any outlet you have, that's called the ground. And the reason that's called the ground is because it actually connects to the ground. And so power is discharged from our grid through the earth itself. And if you live in an area where there's like a whole lot of that, then the process of grounding becomes more complicated because then you're getting kind of these different, you're not just experiencing grounding, you're also getting these other exposures. Oh my goodness. It's impossible. To, <laughs> you, can't, you can't get rid of this stuff. No, it's super hard. But like I say, beaches, beaches are almost never, in my understanding and experience, beaches are almost never one of these high ground current areas. They're, they're generally pretty low in terms of this ground current. But the one of the reasons I bring that part up is because a lot of us, well, not you and me, but a lot of people can't get to the beach or they can't get to the forest in order to do this barefoot walking. And so what you end up doing is you uh, buy these products like a grounding mat for your feet or a grounding mat for your keyboard. And there's also certain types of EMF protection products where you're supposed to ground them like uh, bed canopies and painted walls and things like that. Now, when you're grounding into the, when you're grounding into the sand you know, it's all nature. It's wonderful. It's good. When you're grounding into the, the outlet, you are then exposing yourself to a whole bunch of these other forces. Now, in some houses, it might be fine and very low, but in other places and other circuits, it can be really, really high. Does that mean that it's worse than not grounding as far as using these technologies? Yes, it can be depending on the circumstances of, of your home and the grid near you where you're connecting. There are these forces. First off, dirty electricity can flow along the ground and it doesn't get cleaned by dirty electricity filters. Electric fields and magnetic fields, which are forms types of EMF, can flow along the ground circuit, the grounding conductor. And then this thing called contact current can flow. Anyway, there's, there's, there's four types of EMF hazards that can flow along the grounding circuit. So when you plug into the wall, you can be actually increasing your exposure to these forces way beyond what you would have done had you not been connecting yourself to, to, to the power grid. Because that's what you're really doing when you're connecting into the, the, an outlet ground. You are 
and, and then touching the product, you are then coming into contact with the with forces right off of the grid itself. So we this year at SYB, and I, I know you didn't know this, so I just so your listeners know, this was not planned, but I'm happy that you brought it up. We worked with an inventor named Andrew McAfee earlier this year to launch a product called the the NCB or the nuisance current blocker. And that is a filter for the ground in your home. So you can plug the NCB into the wall, and then you can plug your grounding product into the NCB and strip off these harmful forces. So it makes it safer to ground using grounding products in your home. But it is, I mean, I didn't invent it. I, I'm just very happy that, that Andrew and I met and, and we've gotten along and, and been able to bring this product to market. But that is the, the first of its kind product. Is it available? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to shieldyourbody.com. I'm going to buy one immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's on your website too. Yeah, yeah. If you go to shieldyourbody.com, we have a category called grounding products and grounding protection. And there's an NCB and an NCB Pro. And you and I can connect offline and I can explain more about the product. I wish there was a way to connect with you that didn't involve EMF, but ironically so. (laughs) Well, we can investigate carrier pigeons. I I think they could could make the trip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm in I'm in Uruguay. I'm not too far from you, I guess. But yeah. you know what we could do is I could call you, put you on speaker and have my phone about a, you know, a couple feet away from me. Excellent. That'll work. While I'm standing on the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. And so why don't we return to these parameters that were established, you know, by let's say uh, cell phone companies and other product manufacturers. You know, how are these standards established and what do they actually mean? Are they, are, they, are they actually safe? Can you tell us a little more about those parameters? No, no, they are not. No, no, no. They're, that, that I can be unequivocal on. The whole thing is a friggin' mess. And I, if we, you and I were not just being recorded, I wouldn't use the word friggin'. <laughs> uh, so the, the, this, is a, this is a really big kind of topic that I will try to consolidate down in, into digestible little bits for people. So first of all, there are whole sets of exposures that are not regulated at all, right? So we all know theoretically cell phone radiation is regulated. I'll explain why that is very misleading in a minute. But like cell phone radiation is regulated by the FCC in the United States, but power line radiation is not. Depending on where you live, that can be pretty big. If you work in a power plant, your EMF radiation is is regulated, but consumers at home, there's no as far as I've been able to identify, there are no regulations governing how much of this stuff your power line can give off. Another set of exposures that I have not been able to find, and I I put in effort, I I may be wrong on this one, I think it's pretty significant, is cars. There's, As far as I've been able to tell, there are no regulations governing how much EMF you can be exposed to from your car. And increasingly, right, it's a lot. Because, I mean, even old school cars, I have a very low-tech car, even that has some EMF. But increasingly, you look at these newer ones, particularly the hybrid, everyone thinks electric cars are the bigger source and their electric cars are worse than conventional engines, but hybrids tend to be even worse than electric cars because of the power inverter. Dirty electricity, which is another form of EMF pollution that is created by things like power inverters and motors. There's absolutely no regulations governing dirty electricity exposures, right? So just before you get into how the regulations are insufficient, you have to realize just how much is completely unregulated at all. Now, the stuff that is regulated, in quotes, is regulated around something called the thermal effect. 
So the thermal effect, right? Okay, so stepping back about maybe an hour at this point, I said it was long believed that non-ionizing forms of EMF radiation were safe. That was believed up to a point, right? Up to a certain level of power. Because at a certain level of power, even these safer forms of EMF, even these could harm you. And they harm you by heating you. And that's called the thermal effect. So when you have enough of this radiation, enough power of this radiation, that it starts heating your tissue, that is considered harmful by everybody, not just by EMF advocates, but by all scientists and doctors and regulatory agencies. And this, by the way, this is how a microwave oven cooks. A microwave oven is basically cell phone radiation, cooks with cell phone radiation, just a lot more of it than your cell phone gives off. So we all know that a certain amount of this stuff can heat tissue and cook food. And once you get into that range, everyone knows that's super harmful. So the regulations that do exist, exist to prevent triggering the thermal effect, right? So as long as you're not triggering the thermal effect, you're in this kind of safe zone. But then you get into all these other issues. And again, I'm, I'm, I, I could talk about, you know, about this for two hours, just this particular topic, but I won't because I, <laughs> I know we're covering a lot of ground here. So I'll give you some examples about cell phones. So with cell phones, everyone thinks that they are tested because the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, they set these standards about how much radiation a phone can give. So that people just assume that when they're buying a phone that the FCC has tested that phone. And that is not what has happened. What has happened is, for instance, in the case of the iPhone, Apple has hired a lab out of their own pocket and paid that lab to perform a test. That lab doesn't test how much radiation the iPhone emits because the FCC doesn't regulate how much radiation a phone can emit. The FCC regulates how much radiation a certain type of dummy can absorb. And that dummy is called SAM. I forget offhand what SAM stands for, but SAM emulates a six foot two, 220 pound man, right? So a pretty big guy. If you're, and, and so it turns out that 95% of the world's population is smaller than the dummy that they use for this testing. And so if you're smaller than six foot two, 220 pounds, you're absorbing more radiation than what they would show in that test. The test is designed to skew the results because they're using this dummy that emulates such a large person. So you have the company itself is paying for this. What kind of world do we live in? <laughs> One and more corporate interests determine a lot of regulatory frameworks and laws. <laughs> wow. So already I've covered a few of these things, right? So we have the fact that the government doesn't do this testing. The companies themselves contract the testing. And in fact, there's there's a, a recent issue out of France in the past few years. The government actually did go back and tested 300 models of cell phones. And they found that 90% of them emitted more radiation than the manufacturers claimed they did from their official tests. And several models were actually recalled from the market because they broke, they exceeded regulatory thresholds, right? So when when other people do these tests, they get higher radiation out of the phones than what the manufacturers are saying. But now let's step back even further, and I'll just give this one more example, because I, again, I could go on forever about how flawed the regulatory regimes are on this. Let's say that 
one, like that the FCC regulations are safe, which they're not, but let's say they're sufficient. And let's say that the manufacturers are testing in a fair and reasonable way, which I don't believe, but let's say it. Okay. So the regulations are good. The manufacturers are honest. The regulations are about what you're exposed to from a single phone. How much radiation are we actually being exposed to? Because we're being exposed to more than just radiation from a single phone, right? There's all these other phones. There's all the Wi-Fi networks. There's there's the power lines outside. Right. It's not an isolation. It's a cumulative effect. Exactly. So a whole bunch of sources aren't regulated at all. Some are actually regulated, but individually. So we are not getting any kind of sense of protection from the cumulative impact of all of these concurrent sources cumulatively over time, right? So just because your phone isn't burning your ear off right now doesn't mean that these exposures over 20 and 30 years, they, they just don't even pretend to try to protect us against anything that isn't an immediate term health impact, which was the thermal effect. Right. The thermal effect is an immediate. By the way, it's supposed to protect us against the thermal effect. How many people do you know who've talked on the phone and complained that their ears got hot? Right. That is the thermal effect in action. So even the thing that they're claiming to that limited bit of protection that they offer, which is it's limited, but it's important, but it's limited. Even that little bit of limited protection obviously isn't working right because otherwise, why do people's ears get warm when they're on the cell phone? So my computer right now is pretty hot talking to you. Is that EMF related? It could be. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of processing going on and such, but I mean, is, yeah. is heat from any kind of device related to- No, heat is different, right? So heat itself is not EMF, but EMF can create heat. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, so how much of the heat that, I'm ex- that, I, that I can feel here is EMF? Like, is there- I don't know what your computer is. Like, I don't even know if it has a, a, like a solid state hard drive. Yeah, is there any like let's let's if we're talking computers for a second because now I'm concerned just just you know running the podcast let's say right so is there any kind of regulation for computers? Yeah, basically the same FCC or very similar FCC guidelines that govern cell phones also govern computers, and we're just talking about EMF here, so that would impact the wireless controllers. It does not impact the power supply, as far as I understand it. Right, so your your laptop has. A, a Wi-Fi card in it. It has a Bluetooth card in it. May have some other fancy things in there. Those are governed by FCC regulations. But for instance, the power source, which can be a really significant source of EMF exposure, that would not be, to the best of my offhand knowledge, that would not be regulated. Have you experimented with? Uh, it's experimented is a funny word for what I'm about to ask you. But have you uh, checked out the uh, EMF blocking underwear? Let's say from like. I believe the brand that I have is um, is Lambs. Yeah, I have. I mean, I prefer the I prefer the SYB brand of EMF underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that the other, you guys had a line. Yeah, yeah. No, Lambs is well. Again, I, I I try not to talk about specific brands, but I like Lambs. I, I feel like their sizes run a little small, but I like Lambs. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are you trying to say there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I meant across the board, not just in the end. <laughs> and I know Art, Art, who runs that company, is a good guy. They're trying to do good work. That's a Faraday. So that, that, that's an example of the Faraday effect at work. Yes. Right? Have, yeah. So it's made of silver. You know, it's and it and it blocks. Well, it doesn't just block; it reflects the EMF. Their underwear and our underwear are made from almost identical material. And one concern, or rather, one question that I had was: All right, so let's say you're you're blocking your your genital area, right? You're you're, 
okay, great. But what if you have EMF exposure elsewhere? You know, can it get in your blood? Can it get in your system in such a way where it now communicates with whatever's underneath the underwear? You know, how much are you effectively blocking uh, in that area? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So, right. So that is the limitate. So the, the role that EMF apparel, oh, hmm, let, me, let me figure out how I best want to answer this. When you're talking with a product like my phone pouch that I described earlier, right? You have a single source of EMF radiation and you're trying to reduce your exposure from that. And so you can design very carefully a product that actually accomplishes that goal. Now, the problem becomes when you're not talking about like one of these single sources, like a phone or the laptop in front of you or whatever it might be. Like, so you're out and about in the world and there's all these different Wi-Fi networks and there's all these different cell towers. And so how do you protect against exposure from those? And it turns out that apparel is really the only way to do that, which is why a company like Lambs exists. It's why SYB has a, a, a growing catalog of apparel products. It's because it is really the only way that you can provide this kind of protection out and about from all of these sources that aren't in your direct control that you can't turn off or you can't put a little shield on or whatever it might be. Now, EMF shielding apparel only protects the part of your body that it covers. People would like that it's kind of magical and like you put on an EMF hat and like you're protected, <laughs> but no, that's unfortunately not how- The only way is if it's a tinfoil hat. Yeah. No, our, our baseball cap works really well. For this episode, I brought some tinfoil. <laughs> I guarantee you SYB apparel is way more comfortable than that. And durable and washable. Try throwing that in the washing machine. <laughs> but no, so there's, but getting back to your, your question, which I thought was a really good one, is it, it's not like a, a, a perfect solution, right? So you can, you can protect certain areas of your body, but you're not protecting your whole body unless you want to go out in what is effectively a hazmat suit, which I guess is the design equivalent of that tinfoil hat. It's just not practical. <laughs> so something like the boxers are fantastic especially, you know, particularly for, for men, because we have our gonads dangling outside of our body. And we didn't talk about this science, but for very similar reasons why DNA is so vulnerable to, to EMF radiation, sperm only has one strand. So once you knock out a strand, there's no way that that, that sperm cell is coming back. And so there's a bunch of science showing how vulnerable sperm is and and so that's where like a product like the underwear comes in. If you have thyroid issues, that's where a product like my neck gaiter would come into play. If you are looking to protect your brain, that's where the baseball cap would come into play. So with, when it comes to this EMF apparel, you really need to be looking to solve particular exposures from the perspective of your body rather than from the perspective of the piece of technology that you're carrying. Right. But it's a really good question that you brought up. And what about, do you guys make uh, like, let's say hoodies? No, we do not at this time. We have some apparel, but we have a lot of uh, electronics accessories. So we have a growing line of bags. We have the foam pouch, but we have the pouch deluxe, the sling bag, and now the backpack. So these are all designed to make it safer to carry your technology. We have bed canopies, which are increasingly popular. We have three models of bed canopies. Those are really great because you can protect against sources of EMF that are outside of your control, but also have full protection because they create these full 360 by 360 oh, wow. protective areas around your bed where you're spending your whole night, which is, you know, it's a lot of time and it's really important time physiologically. We have the grounding products, 
And then we have some additional, like the laptop pad is popular. We have headsets like the air tubes and the hard. So our catalog spans multiple kind of categories, all, all of which are based on this EMF shielding technology. Wow. And let's say, you know, I know there's growing concerns about EMF while traveling, you know, boarding a plane. What can folks do before, during, and after flight to uh, limit their EMF exposure? Wow. That is so well-timed. Unfortunately, yeah, I don't, I don't, this episode isn't going out in the next 48 hours, is it? <laughs> no, probably two weeks from now. Okay. Because we have a webinar on Thursday on specifically that topic. And that's being given by Kathy Cook, who, who's our senior EMF consultant here at SYB. And she has just built a new course called the Fly Healthier course. It's also available on our website. It's a seven-week course in specifically how to boost your resilience and reduce your exposure while traveling in a plane or however. Because you know, increasingly, people who have these sensitivities that we were talking about, they find that there's a whole bunch of aspects of life that they find it difficult to participate in. And one of them is travel because airplanes, you know, going to the airport, in fact, Kathy talks about in, in her webinar and in this course, you're actually likely going to be exposed to more EMF radiation at the airport than you are in the plane itself. Because these airports these days are such huge uh, sources of, of EMF exposure. She has a whole system that she has developed of things that you start doing like two weeks before the trip and then a week before the trip, then the day of the trip. And it includes issues with sleep and supplements and nutrition. Then when on the plane itself, in terms of EMF protection, you're looking at things like the apparel that we were just talking about. A lot of my customers use my baby blanket for flight protection. So it's marketed as the baby blanket, but adults are allowed to use it legally. And so a lot of adults use it to, to fly in planes and to wrap themselves. Basically, as you want to cover when it comes to EMF, when you are traveling and you are, if you are trying to reduce as much of your exposure as possible, you want to cover as much of your body as possible when you are in transit, in travel. And so products like the baby blanket, the baseball cap, the neck gaiter, these are ones that would real and the boxers, these are ones that would help you be able to do that. Seems like the baby blanket can also be a great baby making blanket. <laughs> Considering that you probably want to limit EMF exposure in the bedroom. Yeah. Generally speaking, right. And in, in utero when the when the mother is pregnant, for sure. Yeah. Because uh, you know, baby making takes takes place over the course of uh, yeah several several months. <laughs> I've also heard a lot about magnesium being used as a as a supplement to counteract some of the effects of EMF. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so that is outside. I, I have read the same sorts of things. I don't get into supplements myself when it when it comes to communication and education. I will say. That in general, you know, people want to know how do I protect myself against health risk from EMF? And, you know, when they're asking me, you know, I'll tell them the things, but then I say, you know, proper diet and exercise. And they, they don't want, they're like, ah, that's, I don't want to do that. I, you know, I want a product. That, but really, the reason I say proper diet and exercise, it's as an example, like the healthier you are overall, the more resilient you are going to be against damage from almost any toxin, including EMF. And so, yes, part of it is about reducing your exposure. And that's where, where, where my work really comes in is understanding these exposures, understanding technologies, understanding how to reduce those exposures. But anything that you can do to build up your actual health, like lose some weight, 
and you'll be more defense. You'll you'll be in a stronger position to defend yourself against the damage from EMF. Eat you know more salad. You'll be in a stronger position, right? But I, I I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't go around giving giving that type of that input. But that it's true. The the healthier you are in general, the less susceptible you will be to damage from exposure to EMF radiation. I just want to say thank you for that, and 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 thank you for recognizing your 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 limits because I know people in the wellness space. I mean, they like to. Pretend they're experts in everything. <laughs> I appreciate being so professional and, and mentioning that. And you know, from what I've come across and from what I've learned from experts in nutrition and and supplements is, you know, taking or consuming plentiful amount of antioxidants is going to help fight those free radicals, reduce some of that maybe low grade inflammation that can work synergistically in a negative fashion with the EMF exposure. From what I understand, the magnesium can help counteract some of the effects that uh, EMF has on the on calcium, on the calcium channels and the inflammation that that can, can create. But yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, maintaining a healthy lifestyle, healthy habits, you know, proper nutrition, fitness, sleep, stress management, you're going to knock out these other sources of low-grade inflammation and stress that would otherwise compound the effect that EMF exposure can have. So it's really about having that solid foundation and from there building up that one and two that you mentioned, which is increase the distance, limit the exposure. And then first, definitely go ahead and invest in some, in some good products and in some good anti-EMF technology and, and, you're, and you're set, you're good to go. I, wanna, I have one more question for you here before we, before we take off, no pun intended. Where do you think this realm and this kind of information, where do you think it's going to be in, in, in five years and, and where do you hope that it gets in five years. Yeah. You know, I'm asked this on a bunch of different podcasts and I, I find myself giving all sorts of different answers. And I think part of it is based on my mood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the exposures are going to go up. Now there's a lot of variables in play here now, right? So for instance, the right now the World Health Organization lists EMF as a class 2B carcinogen. That means it's a possible carcinogen. There are working groups in place that are trying to get it redesignated as class 2A, which is probable or class one, which is definite. If something like that happens, then, then, you know, a whole bunch of other things kind of change as a result of that one decision. And it's impossible to know for sure. For sure. I know some people who are very optimistic about it. I know others that, that aren't. So there's a whole bunch of tipping points is I guess what I'm trying to say. The number of exposures are going to increase. We see it every year. We see it with, I mean, they're already, everyone's still worried about 5G and they're already de developing 6G. And then there's Starlink and then there's constant increasing of the grid. And the more green energy we have, and this is, this one's an emotionally challenging one for me because I'm a big proponent of the goals of green energy, but it is a huge source of additional forms of EMF that would not exist without wow. these power inverters and batteries all existing around us, not to mention all the pollution created by all of it. Oh man, I didn't even think about that. That's That, that in itself could be a whole other podcast is how these two things are clashing yeah, together. For real. So exposures are going up. Wow. Exposures are going up. It could be though that at some point, well, not only are exposures going up, the amount of high quality information out there is also going up. I mean, the amount of bogus information is also going up, but the, the more high quality information that is out there, the more people like us having this kind of discussion that people can access, that gives them access to the information to be empowered, to make big differences in their own lives. 
And because as you pointed out, right, you can actually make, even with all of the, the growth of all of this stuff all around us, you can make really big changes in your own personal exposure. And so I believe that more and more people will be taking that level of control. The information, the knowledge will become more commonplace and standardized and accepted. What I would really like to see happen is for safety standards to be significantly revised, which was my father's goal. So in the meantime, you know, I focus on empowering people to reduce their personal exposure, but the the real problem isn't going to be solved until safety standards are really, really strengthened. I mean, significantly strengthened. You got a taste of it based on my little rant about it earlier, uh, but there's a lot that needs to happen in order. And that even in the best case, isn't going to happen in five years because there's too much of this tech and too much of this infrastructure already in place. Right. So even if we just decided today, we're changing it all, it's going to be safer. It takes a long time to undo, to unring that bell. Right. And it's like, we haven't even... <laughs> The effort against what's already established is like the awareness is, is really building up, but <laughs> not going against the grain is a whole different story. And I know these companies, yeah. you know, they're, Apple's worth over a trillion dollars. Yes. They're going to do everything in their power to make sure that everyone has their iPhones working the way, how they were designed. Well, basically, any of these, so it's not, I mean, Apple, I mean, they're huge, impressive company, but it's basically any of these tech companies profit in one way or another off of EMF exposure. So I'll give you an example. Amazon has, I mean, Amazon's in every business now, but in order to shop on Amazon, you have to be exposed to EMF. That's before you get into the Kindle, which is a wireless device, or the Alexa smart speakers, which are wireless devices. You can't engage with Amazon in any way that doesn't expose you to EMF. The same thing is true for YouTube and Google. You can't, you can't be delivered an ad from Google without being exposed to EMF, right? So there are all of these layers in which EMF exposure is now so part of the economic fabric that there, there is no way for these companies to make money without exposing you to more of it. And that is a big, from a commercial, from the commercial side of it, that's a really important factor to realize and the impact that that's going to have on the narrative and the discussions that people are exposed to. Do you think that in the foreseeable future, we're going to have like greenwashing of EMF products. Like, hey, this new phone came out, and like on the packaging of the phone, lower EMF. That would be fantastic. That would be a huge step forward. That would be a huge step forward. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be phenomenal. I mean, they're going to be hesitant to do it because once you start doing that, you're starting to admit that everything you did before was more dangerous. <laughs> That's why it would be such a huge step forward. Because yeah, once once companies, do, I mean, in my view, I have a certain kind of suite of competitors today, like other companies doing similar things to me. And in my view, I have to prepare for a future. I have to prepare my brand for a future in which Nike and Under Armour are making EMF shielded stuff, right? Because at some point it gets that the market grows, yeah. the knowledge becomes more mainstream. So that to me, I mean, it's obviously terrifying from a business perspective, but that would be a huge success. And to me, something like that is inevitable that the bigger company, I mean, that's really what you need is you need uh, powerful economic forces spreading these messages that you need EMF protection and that because you need powerful economic forces to battle the messages of these other economic forces that I was just telling you. I mean, you already know about like the cell phone companies and the power industry, but even Google and Apple and 
Facebook and Meta, whatever you want to call it, right? There's all of these economic powers that are are implicitly aligned with messaging that EMF is fine. It's not something you have to worry about. And what we need is to grow economic powers that that have the, the contra message. And I do believe that we're going to get there. I just don't know. I don't have any sense of when. I mean, if you think about something like the influence that this has on healthy human performance, and you take an athlete, athletes get flown all over the world. They're in stadiums. They're constantly exposed to so much of this EMF. Imagine if you had some kind of partnership with Nike or with Adidas, and now all these athletes were wearing anti-EMF or you know EMF shielding clothing, underwear. That would be like so inspiring for so many young people. I think it could really start an incredible movement towards you know protecting from 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 these EMFs. Word. And I know that that might be terrifying from a business perspective, but if there's a way to <laughs> create, I don't know, a partnership. You know, like you guys are bringing the science and the tech, and they're bringing all the the, the design, the clothing, the, the 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 capital. I see this as, I mean, look at the way that young people look at, you know, look and young and, and, and older people, and anybody. Look at the way that we look up to athletes and how they take care of themselves for their performance. I mean, I think it could be a, just a huge opportunity there. I agree. I agree. I think that's a great idea. After this, I'll get on the phone with Nike, see what the options are. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully someone tuning in. I mean, I, I have listeners from all over the world and you never know who's tuning in. Maybe someone tuning in is, is or someone that they know, who knows? You never know. Yeah. But I'm glad that we're having this kind of conversation that we're, that we're raising awareness. So thank you so much. Thank you for your incredible work. Thank you, man. This was a great conversation. I, I really love the flow and I, I, I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to share this information and I appreciate your interest in it. My pleasure. My pleasure. So that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For all of the show notes, including clickable links to anything and everything that we discussed today, everything from discount codes to videos to research articles, books, tips, tricks, techniques, and of course, to learn more about the guest on today's episode, all you have to do is head to my website, andrespreschel.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-S-P-R-E-S-C-H-E-L.com and go to podcasts. You can also leave your feedback, questions, and suggestions for future episodes, future guests, so on and so forth. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you on the next one. Have a lovely rest of your day.